This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor. And uh, with intimidation in his heart today, Paul. Paul, I'm a little bit nervous about today's episode. Uh, how are you no. feeling? <laughs> I know. I was slamming my head against a few lockers before this, trying to get myself all riled up so I wouldn't be so intimidated. So I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, listeners, we are very excited to be here today. We are going to be talking about our most intimidating books on our TBR. And I'm, you know, we, we Paul solicited uh, listener feedback and got a whole lot of it. Yeah, and that'll fun. be kind of fun to, to look through and, and see what we agree with or what we've read that think we think it's worth it kind of thing. Um, or ones that we've never even heard of a, a few of them. Um, but before we get there, Paul, what have you been reading? Yeah, I have been reading all kinds of stuff. Actually, I'm, I'm in Buddy Reads um, bingo right now. E- oh, everything. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so and it's pretty fun. So I'm still making my way through Joseph and his brothers, you know, that year long read that I'm doing, which may or may not have actually appeared on a few people's lists that they sent us for most intimidating books. So we can talk a little bit about that if we want to later. Um, and then I'm also joining in with uh, this month's NYRB women book, Isa's Ballad. And then I'm also reading The Last Samurai by Helen DeWitt, which is part of another group read. So, mm-hmm. you know, Kim, Kim is keeping me hopping with two of those three being her uh, group reads. But now, as always, it's it's really fun. Any initial reluctance that I might have had about like, you know, do I really want to do this or, you know, they, they, we've talked about like how it can feel like an assignment at first, but all of that quickly melts away as soon as I start reading some of these great books and chatting with people online. Um yeah, it's so nice to just have a prompt to, to pick up some of these books that otherwise have just been sitting on your shelf for so long. Mm-hmm. So yeah, been really enjoying those. And then I was going to mention too, I'm still making my way through another one that I mentioned just real briefly on another episode, which is Centennial by James Michener. Um, and I just wanted to touch a little bit more on that one because I've really been pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Like I've had it on my radar for years and always thought it would be something I liked, but I just never quite knew, you know, based on the the cheesy 80s cover and the mass market paperback and some of that, you know, it can be a little off-putting or at least a little concerning when you see all that. But no, it's it's just a wonderful book. So just real briefly, the frame story is that there's this writer who's given an assignment for a magazine to research and write about this town in Colorado. It's not a real town, but it's known as Centennial. It's probably somewhere in the Denver area, you know, based on what they've said, you know, maybe close to Greeley or something like that. And so he, that's the frame story. And he does it in the form of all these different chapters. And each one focuses on a different part of the area's history. And I think I might've mentioned last time, it's really fascinating. He starts clear at the beginning with like the geological formation of the land. And then eventually it moves over to like the dinosaurs and some of the first mammals that popped up and just steadily moves through. It's it's something like 12 or 1300 pages. So he takes lots of time on every one of these eras um, focuses on how the mountains were formed, like I said. And um, then there's like, after he gets through kind of the early dinosaurs and things like that, you know, that it kind of jumps ahead quite a bit, but then he spends a lot of time on the native Americans, you know, the gold rush, the trappers, some of the ranchers. And that's the part I'm on now is a lot of like the, the ranchers and the sugar beet farming and things like that, which, you know, I don't know if it would appeal to everyone. Um, 
he's done a bunch of books based on different parts of the country. So at the very least, if somebody knows that he's done a book from somewhere where you live, it might be kind of fun because it's just like, oh, I know that place. You know, he's talking about Greeley or mm-hmm. Colorado Springs or something <laughs> like that. So there's kind of that element too. But anyway, you know, there's a lot going on, but he seems to have it down to a really interesting, you know, it's like a, it's a page turner um, and he does it really well. So I know, like I said, that our friend Ben O'Connell was a big fan, I believe, of Hawaii, which he read by him. Um, and there may be other people out there who've read some of his stuff. But I would just say don't discount him based on the bad covers and maybe that the reputation <laughs> came out of the 80s that he was on all of your parents or all your friends' parents' bookshelves kind of a thing. Because um, it's been really fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Well, and I, I, I remember when Ben came on, he was doing Hawaii. Yeah, that one's an interesting one, too, because it, it also starts like back when it's just rock and you know one bird flies over and it you know that takes thousands of years of birds flying over before it can start to you know it's just it's just interesting how he tells this story that's so long Mm -hmm. and yet you're right it it is a page turner it's impressive that's the only one that i've ever ventured into is hawaii i don't i haven't read the rest of them but i did you know I, i would agree with you it was it was better than i was expecting and and Yet, I probably still am like, oh, yeah, James Michener. You know, I know so yeah. much about James Michener. Rah, 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 rah. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> even though I liked the one that I did read and have no experience with all the ones that I assume aren't as good. Or <laughs> I know. No, I could still see that being the case with this one because I did have that special connection and a reason both mm-hmm. that my wife read and enjoyed it, but also just the geographical you know, interest. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see if I end up reading more of them. But at the very least, like I said, it's a nice reminder that sometimes those books and authors that you may inadvertently discount, it's it's worth giving them a whirl sometimes. All right. Yeah. Well, what I have you been reading. I've also been reading Isa's Ballad, and mm-hmm. I, it it's different. I'm not like I've read The Door by Magda Jabo, and this one's mm-hmm. translated by George Surtees. Uh, who I, I love his work. You know, he's done uh, Crash and Horkai. He's a poet. I love reading his poetry. Um, and I think his his introduction to this book is is fantastic. I am still, I am nevertheless finding this one a little bit harder going than I've found almost any of the other ones that we've done. And I wondered if, if you were having a similar experience where it's like, oh, there's a thing I need to read every day but not maybe the thing I want to read every day. Are you enjoying it a lot more than I am? I mean, I would say that I am enjoying it, but I will admit um, between the different reads that I have going on of the three, that this is the one I'm behind on. Hmm. And so I don't know that that's necessarily due to the fact that I'm not enjoying it, but you know, I'm not going to say <laughs> that it hasn't, there hasn't been times where of the three I pick up, you know, the last samurai. Cause I know it's, it's quick and funny and easy well, quote unquote, easy to read. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I am a little bit behind, so I don't want to cast too much of a, a final, you know, thought on this yet. But I will, yeah, I, I can see that for sure. It's and I am enjoying it. I think that the 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 mother and daughter are fascinating, and their their kind of desire to help, but frustration when the other doesn't understand that I'm helping you mm, right. <laughs> and the frustration of the one being helped of like, that's not what I need right now. I find mm-hmm. all of that really interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure. It's just, it's a little bit slower going for me. I, I, I am caught up and I'm excited to, to get back into it today. You know, it, mm-hmm. uh, 
but I'm glad I'm doing it as part of this group read because I can see this being one where I would have picked it up, read 20 or 30 pages and thought, oh, not now. And then who knows yeah. when I would have picked it up again. Exactly. So. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. These group reads are so nice because, you know, the ones that we join in, there's there's no real pressure at all. And, and people are very kind and understanding if for some reason you fall behind or have to drop out or something. But it also, just like you said, gives you that little nudge. Maybe if there was no one else involved, you might just set it down and, and move along. But, you know, I think you found through this, you've done every NYRB so far this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I don't think there's been any that you regret. So at the very least, when you push through and make it through, you know, it's just yeah. a nice feeling. And there's always some value in all of these. For sure. For sure. I 100% agree with that. Um, the So you're reading Michener who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Pulitzer Prize winner from Tales of the South Pacific. And I am also reading a Pulitzer Prize winner whose uh, books you may have seen on your parents' uh, bookshelves in the 80s and 90s. Mm. But I think you'll be happy to hear I finally started Lonesome Dove. Oh, I'm <laughs> thrilled to hear it. I knew it would happen if I was just, you know, wished hard enough someday. <laughs> Well, and I've got that, you know, one of the categories on our library challenge is to read a Western. And mm -hmm. so I've always, all year I've said, you know, that's the one I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I, I am listening to it, uh, read by Lee Horsley and really enjoying that as, as well. And, and I'll be honest. I mean, it, I, I've told you, I love the miniseries mm -hmm. a lot and it, it is so fun to sometimes have the Basil Polidaire's score going through my head as I'm mm. listening to parts and remembering the characters and thinking yeah. of, you know, all these things that I've, that I've enjoyed. And so it is making me want to watch the miniseries again, but not because I'm finding it lacking at all. Th this is so well written. I'm, mm. it's amazing to me how well he can convey these characters just by what they're saying. Like you can hear a distinct difference between every single one of them uh, and and he wouldn't have to be telling you who's talking, you know. You just know them, and and the other thing that I that I really love is how many times they're just, you know, it's it's a western story, but he he steps back and just gives it some real. I mean, gravity, yes, about the plot, but I also mean there there's the part at the beginning where they're riding into Mexico uh, to steal the cattle and the horses, and it's Newt's first uh, time going on any one of these. And so he feels like he's finally grown up and I can't remember how it, how it says it exactly, but there's something at the start of that chapter of, you know, well, the first thing Newt realized um, when he was grown up was how fast time started to move. Mm -hmm. And there's just that insight, but then how it talks about them, you know, they started out riding South in the sunset and now all he could see is the, you know, the, the moon in front of them and the darkness and how scared he is, how thrilled he is. But there's just, there's so many things going on in that little sentence that yeah. it's like, oh, this is, this is amazing. So I am, I'm loving it. Uh, yeah. Loved it from the start. You know, I mean, chapter one, I was already like, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I've yeah. always wanted to do it, but <laughs> yeah. been a little bit intimidated well, by it. Of course. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm so glad. And it's funny because even when I'm reading Centennial, there's a huge section where it's talking about the Cowboys. And a lot of it involves a big, long cattle drive that's covering some of the same territory. So as I was reading that, of course, as always, I was like, hmm, maybe it's time to revisit the old Mr. McMurtry again. So, well, that's awesome. I'm very happy have you, to hear it. 
ever been tempted to read his other Lonesome Dove novels? Tempted, yes, but not enough. Like, I don't know. It's just, like I keep saying, for me, that's such a perfect mm-hmm. capsule. I love the way it starts, and I love the way it ends so much. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm missing out on some things, because I've heard from quite a few people who really re- loved those other you know, prequels and sequels. So I'm not going to say it'll never <clears> happen, <throat> but I don't know. I have read a few of his other books in other, you know, series or, or novels. And I, you know, I don't know. It wasn't the same. They were, they were fine. Um, mm-hmm. But nothing has quite reached that peak for me. Um, I don't know. Would you do that? Would you read the rest of them? I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, I I'm guess not, it's too I'll, early I'll see. Say. I'll see mm-hmm. when I'm done. Um but I, I do, I, I think these characters are so fascinating. I, I kind of wouldn't mind I know. seeing more what he had in, in store for them. But I agree with you. I mean, books have a beginning and an end, even if their their lives don't end and you know the story continues for them. And yeah. there's value in in acknowledging that the, you know, books are works of art and the, the way that they are laid out and the way they start and end mm-hmm. are thematically connected usually, you know, if you got a good one. And you don't want to detract from those aspects, even if you want to fit, you know, finish looking after some of the characters. Yeah. It's tough to, it's tough to want to pull away from the effect potentially of the, the, the one book that kind of started it all or, or, and, and with good reason, what was a beginning and an end to begin with it. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and I'll admit I have an aversion to, sequels and prequels in general not always there's there are exceptions but to some extent i get tired of like so many backstories and so much like i kind of enjoy not knowing every single thing about every single character you know so you know the the guy who's sitting at the bar at star wars like i don't really need a whole series dedicated to him um you don't need the lonesome dove uh cinematic universe or whatever yeah exactly exactly but again there's exceptions i've mentioned before like better call saul which is kind of the prequel and companion piece to uh, Breaking Bad, I was very skeptical going in based on mm. how much I love Breaking Bad. And I absolutely love that series. My wife and I have been watching it for, I think, the second or third time through recently. So, you know, it's one of those where sometimes you can get too set in a certain idea and actually miss out on some great pieces of art. So that's where I, I'm not going to say never, but not feeling it right <laughs> now, at least. Understood. Understood. Well, I think, you know, like I said before, I, I, I was intimidated by Lonesome Dove for a couple of reasons. Um, one, the the length. I mean, this is mm. a big book. Even on audio, it's mm. like 36, 37 hours. And then there's also, like I said, you know, kind of maybe the flip of you. I loved the miniseries so much that I thought, I, I don't know if I need to spend 38 hours in the book form of that. Yep. when I've already got so much of the characters and it it kind of worked its magic on me. Uh, and yet there's everybody saying how good it is. And so you kind of want to, and that's, I think, a, a factor in what's intimidating too. There are a lot of big books and, and whatnot that I have no temptation to read. So they're not really intimidating. You yeah. know, it's like some big bully who lives, you know, 2000 miles away I, they're not intimidating me <laughs> mm-hmm, it's the exactly. one who's uh, who's knocking on the door and and uh, <laughs> you know wants to chat or whatever that's right that's the one cracking that, his knuckles <laughs> so i but i am curious about your approach to intimidation 
you know, as as you said, we got a lot of Twitter uh, responses. And a lot of those are, of course, and I think naturally and and fairly, and, you know, this is where I go with some of mine as well. They're just really long books. Mm -hmm. And that can be intimidating. You know, it's easier to sit down and look at a a short book and realize you're going to get through it. It's not going to to take you a month or two to read. And then you've got the, just the, am I going to be able to make it? Like that scares me too sometimes is this sense of, I'm probably going to actually fail. (laughs) I'm scared of failure um, with a big book. (laughs) Uh, But I thought there, there were other reasons that a book can be intimidating as well. And I just thought it would be fun to explore a lot of that. But this was yeah. your topic suggestion, so I don't want to make it sound like, oh, this is what I wanted to do. But when you suggested it, I thought, oh, those are some, this is, or, I think this is a fascinating way to, to talk about it. Why, why are we intimidated? We've all read hard books or mm-hmm. books that probably intimidated us and were worth it. Um, we've also read books that intimidated us and turned out not to be worth it. And we lived, you know, we're okay. We and yet, yeah. yet there's still I the know. intimidation factor. Can you get over it or is it always just going to be there? Well, I think there are a lot of cases where you read a big intimidating book and you love it. You know, we've talked about some of the ones over the years that were on our bucket list books or other things like that. So there are those that are like a positive reinforcement that it is worth it. But of course, we've all, like you said, dealt with the ones that intimidate us and either we make it through or we don't. And by the end, we're bruised and battered. And, you know, I'm sure that that factors into some of the future reluctance too. like some of these. It's like that was that was rough. You know, so, yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, obviously, like you said, length that comes up again and again, you know, complexity, of course, is something that's going to come up. There's the ones that either by reputation or in reality are very complex, you know, something like Ulysses that gets that reputation or, you know, there's many others. Um, But I just said reputation. I think it's funny. Several people on Twitter mentioned this, too, about Proust in particular. They said, I know that it's probably amazing. And I don't think it's necessarily hard per se, but just the reputation alone kind of, it builds this looming shadow where even if you're interested, you know, you can see other people talking about how hard it is or, you know, oh, wow, you're really going to try that, you know, kind of thing. And so I think reputation can definitely factor in too. Um, And then I think for several of mine too, there can sometimes be that perception of outdatedness or, um, you know, the, the language, like if it's an old fashioned, we've talked about with like Don Quixote, once you start reading it, depending on the translation, that book is really not intimidating at all. It's broken into nice sections. It's funny. It's almost like a buddy comedy at times, you know? And so once you get into a lot of these books, you realize that the reputation may or may not be earned. But I do know for me, sometimes some of these older books, they're, you know, pillar books of our society or of, you know, one of the original books, first novels ever written or something like that. I'm very intrigued by it, but there's definitely some intimidation there just both based on, you know, the time that it was written, but also like, if this is one of the first novels ever written, what does that mean for me kind of thing? So yeah, there's all kinds Mm -hmm. of interesting things that can factor into it. And we'll probably get into them as we get into our specific books. I think we each picked four or sorry, five, four. (laughs) We've never done four. I don't know no. why that number came out. Yeah, we can barely <laughs> stay at five. <laughs> um, but yeah, as you talked there, that fear fear of failure for a couple of reasons. One, I, I, I might not finish it, which has happened, and that's always disappointing. Mm-hmm. But there is that reputational factor of the, the fear that I won't like it as much as that I'm going to be disappointed, that even if I yeah. finish it, 
I won't like it as much as everybody else. And what does that say about me? You know, is it also a fear that I'm just not as good a reader or Mm. is it, you know, our defense of, well, it just didn't connect with me. Um, Mm. I didn't like this X, Y, Z book, you know, Um, but the the fear of, of maybe missing out on some of that magic that others get because uh, yeah. there is there are a couple of mine on my book that I would say that's a big factor of why they're intimidating to me is I want to like them and I maybe a little bit afraid that I won't. Yeah, and, no, that's an important point. Yeah, yeah, that idea, like we said, of putting them up on a pedestal, either yourself or f- through other people's eyes, mm-hmm. that can be intimidating because either this could be one of the best reading experiences of your life, so you want to make sure it is or if it's not what does that say i've been saving this book for five years yeah <laughs> exactly that's really cool yeah yeah it's an interesting thing um any any of the twitter uh folks that you want to bring up at this sure. point in the process yeah i was going to mention a couple um our friends that have a great podcast called unburied books they chimed in and said it's not thick books that intimidate me but rather the sally rooney's and otessa moshbags of the world still curious it just seems like much harder work than proust <laughs> so I think that's an important point. It's not always, it's it's individual and it's not always the ones that everybody else is necessarily thinking of. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then Ricardo Chavera says, it's got to be some of the doorstoppers lying around like Volman or Musil. I'm sure I'll enjoy them. So it's less intimidation and more basic math. I could read three other books yeah. or that one. And I like that too. It's that idea of, I've done that where, yes, I want to read that book, but like I could read three or four other books in the same amount of time, you know? So I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Jules Winter says, for me, it's books I can't wait to read, but I'm still intimidated by the vocabulary. Um, and she mentioned several, uh, Gattapardo by Tomasi de Lampedusa. Um, or she says, after adoring Lady Joker, the untranslated detective Goda books by Kaora Takamura. So I think that vocabulary thing factors into it too like the language is just intimidating Mm -hmm. in and of itself were you Um, intimidated to read her tweet on you know vocalize i I, I was (laughs) yeah exactly this whole thing was intimidating and then there's one more by dan and he says intimidating probably is the wrong word for me but more so very aware that the book of what the book is going to ask of me so i know it has to be Mm -hmm. the exact right time to read it and he mentions parallel lives by peter nadas Mm -hmm. um which has has Yep. Yeah, some on my list or yeah on my shelf <laughs> and that's a big one i actually got from fsg the two you know both they, they sent it to me in pdf which you know isn't that intimidating other than i, I don't read well in pdf hmm. but then they sent me i got this big box from fsg and i'm like what is in that and it's the two very thick volumes of uh, nadasha's uh, uh memoir that's coming out later on this year Oh, wow. I think they're each like 800 pages, shimmering, shimmering details. I think what is that? What it's called? I I've looked at them and I'm excited to read them. It comes out in November, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he's an intimidating author. Yeah, Absolutely. shimmering details for for multiple reasons. The Book of Memories is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is someone who doesn't, and you know, I totally trust him. At the same time, I'm like, are you gonna? Did you write this many really long books that are all worth it? You know, know, the exactly is every page of that 900 page book, you know, or, or every every 300 page section, 
uh, you know, do I have to read all of it? Is it going to be, is it going to add up to a good experience with the book? <laughs> and on the flip I, side, I if I read one, uh, yeah. Mm. And on the flip side, if I read one of those and absolutely love it, that means <laughs> I therefore have to read all the others. So it's like, yeah. that's intimidating in and of itself. Is this going to be my new favorite author who only writes door stops? <laughs> you're, you're intimidated <laughs> by the, the potential commitment as exactly. willing as you might enter it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that's funny. Any others that you want to share at this point, or should we go on and, and start sharing some of ours? No, I think we can go on. I will just say our our friend, Eric Carl Anderson, who has that absolutely wonderful YouTube channel, and he's at Lonesome Reader. He sent a picture, which we can include this whole thread, like maybe in the show notes. And I would, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would encourage people to just dig around and click on all the comments because there's all kinds of fun stuff. But he says, here's a stack of biggins that have sat on my shelves for years, and I've never quite found time to read them, though I'm really keen. And he has all kinds of good ones that show up on other people's lists, including Mr. Vasily Grossman. Stalingrad is on yeah. there. Um, he has one that I've wanted to read for a long time, Wizard of the Crow, um, mm-hmm. which I've heard about for years and years and would love to read. Berlin Alexanderplatz. Um, and then he has one that's one of your all-time favorite books on there, Stone Upon Stone. I saw that. Yes. Yeah. Go, go so, for it, Eric. That one, that was, I mean, all of, I know Berlin Alexanderplatz is really great, too. Uh, mm-hmm. But stone upon stone, oh boy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and he actually has a Peter Nadoff on there, a book of memories too. So that's, it is funny <laughs> when we were looking through this list, there are definitely some commonalities. All of us are intimidated by some of the same books. Um, so it's kind of interesting and fun to see that too. And and you worry, like I, when he posted that, I worried that I might add to it by being, oh, you'll love uh, right. you know, stone upon stone. Go read it now. And then it's like, Oh, just what we just talked about. Then all of a sudden you're building its reputation, you're building expectations. Yep. Am I going to, you know, is it really the right time? Yeah. All those fun things that mm-hmm. <laughs> part of this pot. Yeah, well, exactly. Paul and I, and I, I mentioned this, but I, and I think you said yes, but let's chat for just a second to make sure we're both on the same page. Okay. We have five books each. Mm-hmm. And I believe by the end of the episode, we are each going to commit to reading one of yes. these intimidating books on our personal TBRs. Are yes, you, are you good right. with that? I'm good with that. Okay. And every listener who listens beyond this point has to do the same thing. Just that's if, right. if, if you feel like it, <laughs> yeah, that's right. you can keep Otherwise, listening regardless. Yeah. <laughs> we won't know, but um, just know that, you know, yeah, it's a, it's an unwritten commitment that you're making right now. <laughs> I'm excited to see what's on your list and uh, which one you're going to commit to read. Um, let's hear your first one. Okay. Well, I talked about old old books that are intimidating for multiple reasons, that they're pillars of our society, that you don't <laughs> know how the language will be and all that. And so the first one definitely fits the bill for that. And it's The Decameron by Giovanni Boccaccio. Mm. It's one that I have had my eye on since college when one of my professors was just raving about it and talking about how, you know, not only is it a fundamental book, but it's like surprisingly fun and body and exciting and all these things that you hear about, you know, some of these older books. And, you know, the more I've read some of these, like we talked about, like the Don Quixote's or, you know, some of these other Chaucer, some of these books where you you read them and you're like, yeah, they're right. Actually, this is really funny and and all that. It it does give me some encouragement. So um, yeah, you know, most people probably know at least the general idea, but the the concept and kind of frame story is very intriguing. It's a group of 10 people 
who are sheltering in a villa outside of Florence in order to escape the Black Death. And so they have all this time on their hands. And so they decide, you know, every evening, each of them will tell a different story that's kind of focused on these different themes. And so kind of reading the summary here, it says, taking one day off a week for chores, and of course, skipping the Sabbath, they tell 100 stories about knights and ladies, tricksters and reprobates, star-crossed lovers, and randy monks and nuns. Um, and so, you know, it sounds like, it just sounds like it's such a cool idea for a story anyways. And it kind of has some echoes of, you know, maybe like Thousand and One Nights or something like that, where it's, you know, every night they're telling a different story. So it's kind of a cool frame story where you can have some fun and break it up into little short stories. But I also just like that idea of escaping, you know, the Black Death and kind of going off and with a group of friends and kind of killing some time telling stories. So, yeah, that one has just been one that has always intrigued me, but also intimidated me. Um it's the Garden of Seven Twilights by Mikhail de Palo that just came out recently mm-hmm. that is at least somewhat connected and, and based on the same concept of, of, you know, that frame story. So, yeah, that's that's <laughs> the first one on my list. Nice. And you brought up something that I think is kind of uh, pertinent to, to reasons why I might be intimidated as well. There's something about reading those in college when mm-hmm. you know you're going to be able to go into class and have it opened up a little bit for you. There are many times when I would read the reading assignment of like, you know, the a, a section of the Inferno, for example. I had no idea. I mean, I, I might as well have read it in Italian or just <laughs> brush, brushed my eyes across the page. I didn't really mm-hmm. get too much. But then when you go to class, the pieces start to open up and I can reread it and it it becomes a joy and so that's a reason why I'm sometimes afraid to read some of these old classics is that to do it on your own sometimes can feel a bit more intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. So but you need to you know, call I up guess... that professor and say, this is how I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to read this. Can you uh, walk me through it? <laughs> Seriously, I do. I've said that before. That's one of the things I miss the most. We just sent my oldest off to college <laughs> this week and oh. you know parts of it i was like i i don't miss parts of it but there are those parts that we've talked about sitting in a room with a bunch of other curious people and, and an, a passionate expert talking about a topic you love like there's nothing quite like that so yeah i do absolutely miss that but maybe like between youtube and twitter and mm-hmm. some of these other tools that we have now you know i think there are a lot of resources where you might not be able to replicate it exactly but mm-hmm. you know you could probably get some yeah, something similar. I had a really good experience reading um, Purgatorio a couple mm-hmm. years ago when mm-hmm. NYRB released that translation of it that they did. I can't remember who the translator was. My apologies, um, but I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and the way that I would do that is I would read it and I would try to, you know, it's, it's, it's also impossible. I don't know who any of these people are he's running into. They are not right. common knowledge for me whatsoever. Right. It's, it's not a failing on my part to not know who this uh, Miller was that, you know, had a, a beef with, uh, you know, the, the local, you know, uh, who knows what right. <laughs> back right. in, you know, the old, you know, 1300s. Um, but to get then I got online and I would read about the themes and what he's talking about. And, and, you know, I didn't memorize the people, but to kind of get oh here's why this person was brought up. And that was a wonderful experience, but it, mm-hmm. you know, both the reading of it, the the poetry, and the fun of all of that, but the unlocking of, you know, even the religious stuff. You know, I 
some of that you'd think would would still be translatable to today but i just don't think we see the world in the same way that they did even even though we live in a christian society here right. in the us uh, predominantly um it's not like medieval italy <laughs> no yeah exactly and that's so, the the intimidating and the appealing part of it is is mm-hmm. getting a glimpse into these other worlds but like you said depending on the book and that you're setting it can take a lot of work to get there yeah so good luck with that when you get to thank it thank you thank you um my first one is one that i actually am going to read but it's not the one i'm going to to select because it's been too easy um okay, but so i'm a little bit out of your five well you'll i think you'll see why this one okay um but it's one i've been intimidated to read for years to the point where i didn't think i'd ever read it but it's virginia wolf's the voyage out it's mm. her it's her first novel published mm. in 1915 and i've read I might have read everything else at some time in my life that she's wow. written. Um, not all of her short stories, but all of her novels and not all of her nonfiction either, but the, the novels, except for The Voyage Out. And I kind of thought, well, I, you know, her, her she gets great later on. She's probably great from the beginning, but the stuff I love is later on. Mm. Uh, I don't need to read it. But now that I've started that project of, trying to read her novels and short stories as I read her diaries. The first diary starts in 1915 and she only wrote for maybe three months in 1915 uh, because she had a nervous breakdown uh, around the time that the voyage out was published. And so Mm. it's very early on in my reading project. I've still got a couple of short stories and then I'm going to read those three months or two months of of 1915 and then there's the voyage out and i am i am a little bit nervous that this book is going to derail my whole project oh yeah that it it, i'm going to be uh, i don't want to read that one now i'll read it tomorrow and before i know it two years will have passed with me having read you know the first tiny part of my really exciting project to read um virginia wolf and that that i'll start to hate the book because I want to get back to her other stuff or I want to get back to her diaries. Um, I want to get to Jacob's room, which I have read a couple of times and and really Mm -hmm. am excited to read again. But really, you know, I'm nervous that it's going to cause me some, some problems, but I might, I might love it. And it's not small. It's not like she wrote this tiny book to start. Yeah. I want to say it's three or 400 pages. Hmm. Uh, I do have a copy. I found it at the the used bookstore a few weeks ago. I'd never even bought it before, but hmm. yeah, I don't know very much about it. Uh, strangely, um, but that also scares me. <laughs> there, yeah. there needs to be some reputation, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> right. If there's well, not, then what? Uh, am I going to hate it because you know there's reason no one ever really talks about the voyage out? I don't know. Right. I know we have a lot of wolf super fans who out there who are listeners. So maybe somebody out there will give you just that encouragement. That would be nice. You need. Maybe it's I mean, their I'll... favorite wolf of all of them. <laughs> that would be something. I want to talk to that person. Yeah. yeah. To the lighthouse <laughs> is fine, but have you read? Yeah. <laughs> she real she never reached it again after exactly. or 1915. Uh, but at the same time, I'm excited for it. And because, because it, you know, is one that's just naturally in my reading list. I'm I'm not going to keep it as the I've got another one that I'm going to commit to to reading. Okay. And so we'll get to that. But 
yeah, some other reasons I'm a little nervous about it. It's not a big one with a big reputation. Um, and I think I'm intimidated by the obligation I'm putting on myself a little bit to, to read it and get through it in order to complete something that is totally self-imposed, but yeah, I I want to do it. Yeah. It brings up an important point that we've talked about with some of these big projects. They can be so much fun, but there is that intimidation factor connected with them. I mean, I'm going to guess, but to tell me if I'm right, I'll bet that starting Joseph and his brothers, as a read-along, that added a layer of comfort, like, oh, good, this is a, an excuse to read it, but probably also a little bit of a, am I going to be able to keep up? Am I going oh, to feel absolutely. like this is a chore? Is yeah. everyone else going to love it, and I'm going to be 300 pages behind and 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 uninter- un- unwilling or you know unable to catch up because it's just not doing it for me? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And when we have our Zoom calls once a month, am I going to have anything even remotely intelligent to say about it? You know, <laughs> yeah, no, there's all kinds of intimidation that comes along with that. Yeah. And Mr. Mon, Thomas Mon came up quite a bit on yeah. the list from, from people, you know, everything from the Magic Mountain to Dr. Faustus to Joseph and his brothers did come up quite a few times. So yeah, no, there's for sure that connection of <laughs> just trying to keep up, like you said, with some of these there's some smart people that we talk to every day and um it's a lot of fun but there yeah i think for all of us as readers there are those points where you get a little bit of imposter syndrome when you're reading some of these books maybe maybe now is is a good time to bring up it's very tangential but you're reading joseph and his brothers a lot of people brought up the magic mountain we've mm-hmm. got button brooks there's dr faustus i think all of these have been translated by john e woods from the german uh, and while I myself have not read them, but you got me the magic mountain and I'm not, in, mm-hmm. I'm not intimidated or scared by it. Maybe, maybe a little bit I am, but I'm excited about it. That one's more, I want to find the right time. Yeah. Um, but Johnny Woods also translated a book that came up quite a bit on Twitter. And that is, uh, uh, Arno Schmidt's bottoms dream. Yes. And yes, that did come up a lot. <laughs> And that one, I didn't even have to ask, what about it intimidates you? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, we all know why. Yes, this is an an amazing translation feat. Um, I don't know if, have you ever opened it to look at the pages? I've never even seen it. Nope. Only online. Hmm. It's something else. It's in columns. It's got Hmm. side text. It's all around the, you know, it is, it is it is exceptionally intimidating yeah. in the way that if I found an ancient book that it was in another language and in another way of thinking about everything, you know, another way of perceiving the world would be interesting mm-hmm. without me ever thinking I could crack it. And I, I, I don't know anybody who has read it. In, of, um, even among all of his, his fans, people who were most excited when it came out, um, you know, even pushing for it to win the best translated book award simply by virtue of it having been translated, which is a good argument. Uh, you oh, know, absolutely. it is, a, it is a remarkable uh, feat. Um, and as far as I know, I'm sh- I, I mean, among people I know, I'm sure there are people who've read it in English, but right. I've read it. I've read the most of it. I read um, a, a few hundred pages and it's, again, I might as well have been reading in Sanskrit, you know, some ancient mm-hmm. text and, 
yes, I knew the words and I was trying to get some of, you know, but it was remarkably um, difficult, but I wanted to give it a, a, a decent shot. And I spent, that may have been the book that most derailed my reading for the next few years when I was wow. a judge for the best translated book award, yeah. because it was, it was something else, but mm-hmm. I would love it. I would love to understand it better. Um, I would love people to, to get in there and crack it and be able to, to, you know, report back. It feels like people go in with their lamp and, you know, they're, they're well outfitted and then never, never, never come back. (laughs) (laughs) Or they do like you and their hair is completely white and they have like a trimmer and yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's a, well, I mean, not to keep (laughs) skipping away from our own list, but I mean, that is definitely calls to mind another one. It's often compared to Finnegan's wake, you know, and that Mm -hmm. comes up quite a bit in some of our Twitter comments as well, where that it's that same kind of thing where it's almost there. You can almost not make sense of it. I need a Rosetta stone. Yeah. um, Even though it's in English. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. But I don't know if I ever saw it in a used bookstore, I would snatch it up immediately despite all that. Well, and I would too. They, again, they, they sent it to me on PDF, which is how I have it. But I I had Mm. a, a pretty big um, reader that I was using mm-hmm. so that it looked more real book. I could never do that on a phone or anything like that. Oh, no. um, yeah. Nor could you I do it, it on my computer. I had to have something I was holding and able to, to mark and all of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it just it, eventually I got to where I'm like, I can't keep doing this or I'm not going to get anywhere with yeah. anything else. So <laughs> well, you see, you see photos of it. Um, you know, like Chris Via, I've seen it on his videos from time to time. And Francis Evangelista has a copy and she even said it's 1500 pages, weighs about 13 pounds, you know? Yeah. So it's like, not only is it intimidating you know, academically <laughs> or mentally, but just it, physically as an object like that needs its own desk. <laughs> seriously. I know. How would you even read it? You'd have to like, have like, I don't know. You'd have to a dedicated reading place, I think. Yeah. I mean, you could look at it that way, build up a shop out, or a shed out back. Yeah, with a with a light, and uh, you know, picture yourself being like a monk and going out there, mm-hmm. you know, in alone for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, dad's out in the Schmidt shed again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, what's your number four, Paul? <laughs> My number four is uh, "Black Lamb and Gray Falcon" by Rebecca West. Mm-hmm. This is another one that came up on several people's lists. Um, she's been on my radar for a long time now. And I, a couple of years ago, I read and enjoyed the return of the soldier, which was really good. Um, and then I also own the NYRB edition of the fountain overflows by her, which I have not yet read, but I was browsing around in a used bookstore recently and saw this big old brick of black lamb and gray Falcon. Um, so I, you know, I'd heard so many people talking about it. And so I grabbed that one right away without, I, I honestly didn't really even remember what it was supposed to be about. But um, here's the description. It says, written on the brink of World War II, Rebecca West's classic examination of the history, people, and politics of Yugoslavia illuminates a region that is still a focus of international concern. A magnificent blend of travel journal, cultural commentary, and historical insight, it probes the troubled history of the Balkans and the uneasy relationships among its ethnic groups. The landscape and the people of Yugoslavia are brilliantly observed as West untangles the tensions that rule the country's history as well as its daily life. So again, I keep talking about how I love these books that focus on a region or an area. The Balkans are just such a fascinating, there's so much 
great literature, you know, that has come out of there that we've talked about some of it on this podcast. So all of that by itself is enough. But like I said, then the reputation of, of different people that you um, see who have loved it is also very intriguing to me. So again, like I said, it did come up on several other people's lists and good old Kim McNeil. She said, well, we better get a group read going. So she came through. <laughs> the group read queen is still in full effect, um, which I thought was funny. And I would absolutely be up for that. Um, so we'll have to see if that one makes it into my list. Maybe I will inadvertently prompt another group read like I did with Joseph and his brothers and <laughs> get myself in another one yeah, of you, those. But, um, you do tend to start this uh, punishment on yourself. Uh, I'm just whistling <laughs> and strolling along and mention something casually and uh, yeah, draw attention to myself. But yeah, so Sean Dixon was encouraging on Twitter. He said, it's big, but extremely compelling and readable if it makes a difference for me to say so. So that was encouraging. But then on the other hand, our friend Bonnie Renzi said she gave up on it earlier this year after reading only 300 pages. Um, only so 300 get, pages. I know, exactly. <laughs> so um, you get lots of different back and forths. Like our, our other friend, Rohan Mateson, wrote about it on her blog a while back. Um, she said she started reading it. This was back, I think she wrote this in like 2018. So she's been reading it over the last decade or so. But she said on her blog that was written in 2018, she said she started reading it four years ago. I'm still reading it or more accurately. I'm reading it again. I didn't stop reading it because it was no good or I wasn't interested. On the contrary, I was fascinated and endlessly impressed. But the very thing that so fascinated and impressed me, the astonishing density and rhetorical brilliance of West's individual sentences makes it very slow reading. And at nearly 1200 pages, it's also quite literally very heavy reading. I didn't consciously decide to stop reading it. I just set it down and read something else for a while. And somehow that while turned into four years. <laughs> and so I thought that was interesting and kind of reflects something I think we've all experienced. But then she goes on, she broke it up into three or four separate blog posts. And I couldn't tell as I was reading through that, I need to follow up with her and see if she ever did make it to the top of the mountain. Um, but just reading her thoughts on it made me even more exciting to dive in. And then hearing a couple of people who say, you know, that they have read it and really loved it. If I'm not mistaken to bring up Francis again, I think that she has read it and is a big fan as well. So yeah, that's one that I, I've only actually got a copy myself recently, but I don't know. <laughs> it's calling to me. <laughs> nice. I'm excited. I hope you get that chance to do the group read or, or mm -hmm. push it through. Yeah. Um, that's not really one that's been on my radar or on my TBR, but it, it is one that was brought up that I thought, huh, Maybe yeah. I can make that one of the most intimidating books on my TBR exactly. you know, that sits there for years. <laughs> <laughs> we all need a few more of those. Right? Um, What's your next one? My next one is uh, Henry James. You know, that mm. he's got all those complicated uh, novels that I think people are kind of like, he, his style became almost uh, unreadable there toward the mm. end, you know, the golden bowl and whatnot. But that's not what I'm the most intimidated by. I don't really care about those. I've never read them, but the one that I want to read that I've, I have tried to build up the, the energy, you know, like you said, you know, pounding, you know, your head into some lockers. I've, I went <laughs> right. and bought the, the, uh, Michael Gora's portrait of a novel because I just, I'm like, mm -hmm. I need to read a portrait of a lady. Mm -hmm. I love Henry James. I love Daisy Miller. I love, you know, th these, these shorter books that he's written and I, I've loved the idea of reading a portrait of the lady, 
but I haven't read it yet. And it's, there's, you know, it is long. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he can be a bit complex. And again, a lot of the stuff that I've, of his that I've loved, they're, they're shorter. But even like Daisy Miller, I don't think I loved it the first time I read it. I was, I was compelled into it and, and enjoyed it. But it was, it was with a class that I really started to see more what was going on. And I think a part of me is worried that I, I won't really be able to do that with the portrait of a lady. I'll just, I'll get tangled up where I've read, you know, a, a, you know, 50 pages or so, and I'm not a hundred percent sure what's going on. And, right. and so the next 50 pages won't mean anything uh, because I, I don't have the footing or the context. I'm just reading words and we'll lose the thread. And I'm just a little bit nervous by it. Um, but also there's the, the idea that it's been one that I've wanted to read for so long that I, I kind of scared that even if I get it and, and don't have those other problems, I just won't like it as much as I've told myself I will. So I'm going to disappoint younger me. <laughs> right. Know. Right. No, I know. I get it. I but, almost had Henry James on my list too. I thought about adding him. And the funny thing about him is you mentioned the golden bowl. I mean, that one, I do own it and it appeals to me or the Bostonians or there's always different mm-hmm. ones. And it's like, you could probably list what 80% of his works could be on this list for me. <laughs> you know, well, it's intriguing, but they're also intimidating too. And you had suggested for our novella summer reading to, to mm-hmm. put on the list, Daisy Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, at, I, I do recommend it. I love, I love that story. You know, that, that yeah. book. Um, are you intimidated by it at all? I Daisy am Miller? not. I, that, that one I actually have read. I was looking, I was trying to oh, look okay. through. I've read, I've read, yeah, that's what I thought. I don't know what it says. This might go back to our forgetfulness episode, but yeah, I've actually read that one and I have read The Portrait of a Lady. Um, oh, yeah. I thought I had, but I wanted to make sure I didn't misspeak because it was a few years ago. Um, yeah. And? I, really, and? <laughs> I gave it four stars. You know, that's, you that's the way, you know, Henry James, four stars. No. I, yeah. Well, I if, do if only he were a little better. Could yeah, have got exactly. five stars. Had he, had he met no. my my uh, high standards <laughs> that's so funny the audacity of like every time you do that to some classic you're like oh god this is like embarrassing but no i remember it, loving it and it was it was tough but i don't remember it being you know like we've talked about like the the parodies of semicolon upon semicolon yeah. i think there were sections you know maybe somewhat like that but i think it's just you know it's a big book it's it is complex, but I, I don't remember. I remember it being very readable and I remember really enjoying the characters. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that would be a a reasonable one. You know, it's not like some of these. It's not a bottom stream. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is also, even though I've read some of his his books and, or you know, not none of his novels. I'd actually, I've read a few of the bigger novellas, maybe. Mm. Uh, but these big novels, I, I've not I've not ventured into them. Yeah. Um, why do I feel like they're going to be different from his shorter ones, which I've loved? I don't know, but it's similar to what I felt when I first read like Edith Wharton's The Age of Innocence, just this sense yeah. of, Ooh, okay, here we go. And then being absolutely delighted by it. So yeah, absolutely. That's, thanks for the encouragement, Paul. Sure, sure. <laughs> You'll have to keep me updated. Well, I'm returning to olden times. Um, I, I realized I think like three of my five actually kind of fit in that category, which is interesting. They must be ones that have been calling to me for a long time, but 
I in your nightmares. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is another one where you hear very mixed people love it or or just haven't been able to do it, and it's the tale of Genji. Mm-hmm. And I hope I'm pronouncing that. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, in my yeah. head when I read it. Yeah, exactly. It. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So that is another one where, uh, you know, different people on Twitter just kept talking about how good it was. But then you hear other people saying like, oh, it's really hard. I gave up. Um, I was at the Boulder Bookstore and, and came across a, a beautiful copy and, you know, I went <laughs> for it. But, it, you know, it does remind me in some ways of the Decameron or Don Quixote, where it's, you know, it is one of those foundational works for both the country and even really just for the history of the novel as a whole um so that intimidates me um but again what draws me back in is it would have been easy to discount some of these books that had that reputation and yet often when you get into them you're always amazed by how modern and rewarding they can be um so you know i kind of go back and forth on on that whole thing but I was looking around at some of the reviews for this and from the Paris review, um, they say, what is it? It is super long, super detailed and a proto novel written in Japan in the early years of the 11th century. It was written by a woman whose personal name is lost, but who acquired the nickname Murasaki on account of its being the name of the most important female character in the book. Um, it says now, what do I mean by super long? I mean, 1,135 pages. Um, and, you know, so it, it breaks it down into like, what's it about? It's about the life, especially the erotic life of a very glamorous, heart crushing, multi-talented dude, Genji. That's about two thirds of it. Later, it's about the next generation. And so I really liked that because <laughs> it's like some of the intimidation of some of these books is like you just know it by reputation, but you don't really have a concept of what you're getting into. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting way to, to kind of break it almost down into bullet points. Um, and they even say, you know, the description of it may not sound all that interesting, but it is because of the way the material is handled, says the narrator, in fact, a court lady who all her life dealt with Genchis and sub and all their women and all their children tells the story with a very modern seeming strategic restraint. Her characters are selfish and generous, foolish and wise from one minute to the next. And she simply tells you what they said, thought and did without overtly judging them. So I don't know. Again, it's, it's one that, I, I was not alone in this one. I, I know that Dorian and Bryce Sears, among others, mentioned it on their um, lists as well. So it's one of those where I think it's it's both equal parts intriguing and intimidating. Mm-hmm. Not on my TBR. I've never purchased yeah. it. I've never, uh, never, never fallen in. Probably much like you, I, I don't know more than that it's a foundational text and and mm-hmm. so it hasn't uh, hasn't snagged on onto that yet, but that would definitely be an intimidating yeah. one. <laughs> I know, I know, exactly. All right. Well, my next one is a shorter book. It's the the edition that I have is from New Directions. It's 178 pages. Is it all? Is all? And it, mm. it's they're they're somewhat dense. The pages not not terribly, but it's a little bit small type, but. It's uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, Nausea. Uh, mm-hmm. And this one is translated by Lloyd Alexander. And this one, I, you know, I'm not, not really nervous about the length, but I am nervous about the complexity. But I'm also nervous about whether I'll be in the right headspace to, to read this one. Or, and uh, maybe whether I'll be in the right headspace after I read this one, <laughs> you right. know, what's it going to do? Uh, right. Because here, here's a, a review of it that with nausea, 
Sharta has has succeeded magnificently and horribly in mm. extending the realm of the novel to the outermost reaches of naked self-examination. And, you know, it's got this massive uh, reputation, like Sartre himself. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it it's one that I've had for a bit that I'm excited to read. But every time I'm like, oh, I should read... That, that, that its day will come and yeah. I, I realize it's it's a, it's a bit because of my own uh, intimidation with the it, it's it's a black you know black dark uh cover it it, it just looks in intimidating um yeah. to me the the it it just has this uh this weight to it that i'm a little bit bit nervous about yeah, no, that's an interesting point. It doesn't always have to be the long ones. I I think I didn't really think about this, but I think all the ones I mentioned are long today. But I like that you brought up one that is intimidating for a different reason, because I was thinking about that subject matter, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we mentioned Grossman earlier. I mean, obviously, the, the subject matter is not only are they big books, but you're diving in to spend hundreds or thousands of pages in some of the darkest points in human history, you know, like whether in other cases it could be something like the Holocaust that you're dealing with, or, you know, there's just, there's different factors, you know, there's that movie, the killing fields that came out, you know, that was all about Pol Pot. Like some of these things can be intimidating because it's like, do I really want to spend hours and hours just Mm -hmm. digging into the dark parts of humanity? So yeah, no, that's a great, a great choice. All right. What do you have next? Yeah, my next one is one that he's kind of come onto my radar fairly recently. And again, I don't know all that much about him, but Herman Broke. And again, I hope I'm saying that right. Sleepwalkers. It's a, the trilogy that he wrote. Um, again, I'm kind of having to rely on reviews on some of these because a lot of these I don't know all that much about. But um, it says with his epic trilogy, he established himself as one of the great innovators of modern literature, a visionary writer, philosopher, equivalent of James Joyce. Thomas Mann and Robert Musil. So how's that for, you know, talk about intimidating, but also very, what a friendly crowd. (laughs) Exactly. But it's like two of the three that I've read. I haven't read Musil yet, although I picked it up recently, but Joyce and Mann have written two of my most rewarding books that I've ever read. So that pulls me in. Um, And that review says, even as he grounded his narratives in the intimate daily life of Germany, Broke was identifying the oceanic changes that would shortly sweep that life into the abyss. And so it kind of breaks down. It's three different books in this, you know, Sleepwalkers. It's all, I have the one version, and I think that's all I've seen it come as. But Mm -hmm. it says whether he's writing about a neurotic army officer in the romantic, a disgruntled bookkeeper, and would-be assassin in the anarchist, or an opportunistic war deserter, the realist, he immerses himself in the twists of his character's psyches, and at the same time soars above them to produce a prophetic portrait of a world tormented by its loss of faith, morals, and reason. So, I mean, come on, disgruntled bookkeeper and would-be assassin. <laughs> Perfect. What's not to like there? I know. That, that could have yeah, been I mean, you. Just, <laughs> could have been me in a different life, you know? Um, no, it's just, I don't know. I We've talked about how I'm drawn to the gloomy books, but some of the reviews that you see, like the Time review says, it's a massive and gloomy trilogy, which he calls a philosophical essay in his big book. It is written with a calm, thoughtful air, describing in great detail the mental processes and the doings of some of the unloveliest people ever seen outside the caricatures of George Gross. So, you know, I don't know if it's like the contrary, contrarian in me, 
but I do know that he <laughs> has come up, um, you know, fairly often. He has some big fans that, um, you know, think very highly of his work um, that we, that we interact with regularly. I was going to look and see, I don't think this one came up on anyone else's lists that we sent in, but I know that I have heard it listed before by people. Um, and I think again, going back to Chris Villa, who we could probably add to our bingo score at this point. I'm pretty sure that he <laughs> has talked about his books as well. So anyway, is that one, one that you are familiar with or that you've read or anything it, like that? It is. No, I have not read it. It is one I'm familiar with. I, I think that, uh, Michael Orthofer, the complete review has talked about uh, it. Okay. And so I mm-hmm. put it on my list of ones to look into, but I've never purchased it or, you know, as sometimes happens, you get this list and you, you get excited, you look up the books and, and then, you know, you don't follow through, uh, right. not only just on reading it, but even in then going and getting more, <laughs> you know, getting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's well, definitely he has another like, book that, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, as, as I look at the cover, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I remember that. I remember mm-hmm. putting it probably in my wish list or something like that at some time. Yeah. And he does have another one that I actually, I was debating because it appeals to me equally, but it's also equally intimidating called the death of Virgil, which is, mm-hmm. I guess just all about like the last hours of, of Virgil's life, you know, obviously a fictionalized version of that, but um, I think really good things about that one. I have too. So I debated, I went back and forth on the two, you know, if I can cheat and squeeze both of them in there, like, that that would him as an author is I guess probably the the main thing because I would have to dig some more to figure out which one of those two. But the Sleepwalkers to me does sound really really good. So, but a little scary. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and this the the title alone that's that's a bit haunting. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> All right, What's my next, next one. one. It's one that we've, well, it might not be this book that we've talked about, but the concept of the intimidation factor is something we've talked about for this particular author. It's uh, Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. Mm. Um, I think both of us have, have said, hey, we, we would like to get more of her books and, and read more of her books, but we want to appreciate her books more as well. Like I've read yeah. Beloved. And, you know, while I'm like, okay, this is pretty phenomenal in in so many ways, I I didn't love it enough to be like, I need to now read all the rest of her stuff. It's more like I recognized importance um, and and didn't capture the rest of it. But I've wanted to read more of her books for, for a long time. But I think because of that fear that, hey, maybe you're just a big jerk and can't, you know, get into this, this important author and her important works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe, you know, (laughs) but but that, that's the, that's the, the the reason I haven't, I I mean, there is the content that it's, it's a hard, hard going, but you know, I've, I've read plenty of other books that have been tough going um, for, for multiple reasons that, I don't really have that excuse. I think it is just that there's the reputation and what if I fail to, absolutely to meet it. And Mm -hmm. so, but that's the one that I've had for quite some time that I thought I need to, I need to get there and, and, and read that one. Yeah. I actually did read that one a couple of years ago. Um, And it's, it is all of the things you just said, but (laughs) it's up. It is worth it. I've told you, I I talk about intimidating the fact that I have, I can always appreciate Toni Morrison and she deserves every accolade in the world, obviously, but I will say that I have never yet really 
completely connected with one of her books to the point where it's an all-time favorite, which is kind of intimidating mm-hmm. to me in a different way because I'm like, there's clearly something wrong with me here. Um, yeah. So that, I don't know. Yeah, that, um, she intimidates me for, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a very different lens on intimidation because it's not for lack of trying. I have read now three or four of her books and I can always appreciate them. I don't dislike them, but I do feel that intimidation of like, what am I missing? Or why does like, what, what is wrong with me to not, you know, get everything out of it that so many other people do. So yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I'll, I, I, I'm certainly going to get to, to them someday. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, my last one is, fits all the categories and more um the anatomy of melancholy by richard i've brought it up i mean this book haunts me in a good way i i see it on my shelf and i it's one of those i love having not read if that makes (laughs) sense yeah but i also really want to read it but every time i look at it and hear about it wow how how and when would i even start that so you know it, it appeared i know that uh brian wrote in brian crandall it was on his list and I'm sure it's on lots of other people's lists, but just the the superlatives that come along with this book intrigue me so much. One of the major documents of modern European invis- uh, civilization, um, the greatest work of prose of the greatest period of English prose writing is another description I've seen of it. Um, Dr. Johnson, Samuel Johnson said it was the only book that he rose early in the morning to read with pleasure. So it's like all these <laughs> like really like fascinating thoughts. And then, do you remember the backlisted episode that was back in 2019 where they had Philip Pullman on and it was in, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I re-listened to it this week because it made a big impression on me at that time. I already owned that book. Um, And just listening to them talk about it made me even more excited. Like the different during the episode, I I did a few poll quotes universally considered one of the greatest masterpieces of English prose. Um, They said it's a, a book that, um, is praised by those who have read it, but not enough people have read it because it's so big. And they were also talking about how the word melancholy is kind of intimidating in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. it means something different now than it did back then. So, you know, it was referring to the bodily humors that were commonly accepted back then as kind of like this, in our view, a pseudoscientific way of looking at life. But at that time, it was kind of what they went with. Um, So, you know, I think sometimes that name can kind of be intimidating a little bit too, but I don't know, just a couple more things. They said Burton is interested in absolutely everything and it's all in this book. <laughs> and then nothing about this book is for the faint hearted, but we'll prove to you over the next hour that it's worth the perseverance. And that was one where I was like, yes, they did that. <laughs> so, um, you know, Philip Pullman said it's the most wonderful book I know. And I thought, wow, what an amazing, you know, thing to say about a book. So, yeah, I don't know. It's intimidating for a bunch of reasons. Um, and part of the reason is I hear a lot of people say you should dip in and out of it. Like you don't necessarily want to try to read it cover to cover. But that's so opposite of what I would normally do. And I don't really like the idea of just doing that. And so I think that intimidates me too, is just how to re- how to even approach yeah. this puzzle. So Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Is that is that the one that you're... Have you decided <laughs> what one you're committing to read? Or is... I have two that I've actually been going back and forth on, but I, that's not one of the ones I will continue to kick that can down the road. I think. <laughs> All right. Well, mine, the, the one I've saved to the end is the one that I am planning to, to move forward with at okay. this particular moment. All of these are ones, you know, they're on our TBRs. We're, 
Mm-hmm. They're the books we've been intending to read for some time. Uh, this is actually one that I have intended not to read um, for a few years now. You probably know oh. where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris Via again. Let's uh, yes, if you if we put him on the bingo card, you guys got that stamped several <laughs> Many times, times today. Yeah, he did an episode on War and Peace uh, earlier this mm-hmm. year of him reading it and talking about his whole process. I loved the way that he approached it in his video, uh, the way he approached making his video. It wasn't a sit down at the end of it and go through my thoughts for 10 or 15, 20 minutes. It was sit down before I've started it to, while I'm thinking of what translation to read, sit down. Once I've read the first little bit, sit down, you know, and, and I, I thought that was so fun and I didn't watch the whole thing because I haven't read the book, mm. um, but I did feel comfortable to watch the first few hundred pages. Cause I've read those um, a yeah. few times and I've seen the, the, the Sergei Bondarchuk film. Um, mm. So I, you know, but, but I, I thought I want, I dang it. I had, <laughs> I had retired this one off of my TBR. I was going to say, um, yep. taken it off of my bucket list. But he made a compelling argument, and you have as well over the you know over the time that that we've had. But I I figured I need to do it. I, I want to do it in the translation that he read because I was that's part of the reason I was enjoying the the his discussion of it was mm. passages he would pull out. I was like, yeah, I do think that sounds great. And that's the Anthony Briggs translation that came out. I don't know, fifteen years ago or so. Okay, I actually bought it when it came out. Um, I have like 30 editions of it, but I think that mm. one's one I've given away or something over there. I can't find it. Um, mm. but it's the one that's Penguin Classics now, you know, so it's easy to find. I just yeah. need to, to go and, and snag it and start that. But also my, my friends on the Trollope read along, um, have all, all also kind of suggested, Hey, the, you can read a chapter a day and finish it in a year. And I thought, Holy cow. I don't know if I can do that. Um, yeah. that's, that's kind of against my my nature as well. But I mm-hmm. think some of them are starting on January 1st. I don't know if I'll wait that long um, to, to do it, but that's the one I'm going to... Wow. I'm, I'm committing on here to be a failure, potentially. <laughs> and re- hey, reveal no that. <laughs> I, failed it. I have failed it many times, but I guess if you know, I get back up and and admit that, hey, I'm still a little bit, I don't know, interested. Well, you talked I'll... about, we talked about the value of having somebody who's knowledgeable and passionate. You said he he did several videos. He broke them into different well, sections. I mean, maybe it, that would be the it's way. It's a really, of... let me try and I'll find it. it. It's it's a long, yeah. And I thought that too. I thought I could do this by mm-hmm. just going through it and, and getting it with him. But this is not, uh, I'm going to pull it up. Okay. Um, to tell you how long this uh, this particular video is that he did, I need to go check that out because I did read that a couple years ago and would love to revisit it. Are you Are you ready for the length? Give me a guess. The length of Chris okay. Villa's video on War and Peace. So this is one video, not a series. One video. Oh boy, um, an hour and a half. Six hours. Wow. Two minutes and fifty eight seconds. <laughs> wow (laughs) or thereabouts that's at least where i'm at on on here that's impressive Uh, that's a video worthy of the of war and peace i would say that epic video and that is one of the oh and that's actually it's six hours six minutes and 43 seconds now that i can see the full full runtime um and i probably watched the first 50 60 minutes of it 
before I was like, okay, now I, I, you've, you've got, you've got me hooked, but I, mm-hmm. I very much thought I can do this if I always have this video to look forward to, mm-hmm. to coming back to and, and kind of working through it. But I thought, I thought that was such a fun way of doing a YouTube video, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. We've yeah. talked about sometimes <laughs> whatever it takes, whether it's listening to the audiobook while you're reading it, whether it's a group read, whether it's something like that. I think that's one of the fun things about these intimidating books is we have access to tools and people and friends mm-hmm. and all these other ways that can help you crack these tough nuts. And as we so often find, if you work through it, um, it's very, very rewarding in many cases. So this yeah, is me I hope trying so. to stall where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to commit to. <laughs> all right, Paul, I've got to go. Doing a little you, soft. I, okay. I have a hard out in, in 10 true. seconds. You know, do we have a time five. frame on this? Do we have a time frame on this? That's my, do, are we committing to a certain time? Like well, by I mean, the end our, of the year. Sh- like I think that. that's fair. I don't, I don't, okay. I don't intend to like, cause I was even thinking maybe this will be the book. I, I do start it on January 1st, Okay, but with, the, with we that should frame, make it not just our TBR. Cause these are already on our no. TBR. Okay. Right? <laughs> well, in that case, I am going to, pretty much commit myself because Kim listens to this. Pretty and much. I know that she will not let me get away with this if I don't. So I'm going with the black lamb and gray Falcon by Rebecca West. I think right. this is the call for a group read. And the reason I was waffling is because if I have to start this group read at the same time that I'm still doing Joseph and his brothers, my head might fall off. I um, think that's fair. I think making yeah. the plan and fit, you know, that's January 1st. That's what I'm thinking. Like I kind think of that's a, a fair plan. 2024. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I think that that rather than like oh you have to hang up and then go start reading it, mm-hmm. get get your ducks in a row so that you can you know be be Joseph prepared to, to enjoy. It. I have to get them in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get those brothers out of you know all their troubles. That's right. Yeah. The thought of trying to do both at the same time that was what why I was waffling. So, well, I will just quickly say um, I know we need to go, but. We will include this Twitter thread in the show notes. Spend mm-hmm. some time. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun to read through. There's, you know, lots of Proust and Ducks Newburyport. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of, there's some, um, there's some Iris Murdoch, you know, that, that series Prey, P-R-A-E mm-hmm. that has come. I mean, there's all kinds of really interesting stuff. The Fairy Queen, Hopscotch, now, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry, we can't give, you know, I wanted to shout out as many people as we could, but um, spend some time on there. Yeah, it would be a little bit overwhelming. We yeah. everyone deserves it, and we would love to do it, but it it would be there. There yeah. were a lot. I was every time I'd look at my phone, I had fifty new notifications oh, yeah. on. It exploded, on and maybe we can even touch on a few of these in coming episodes because I I really appreciate everybody doing it. It was so much fun to yeah. see. And I added some more to my list. And it was also nice to know <laughs> I'm not the only one who's intimidated by some of these books. So thank you, everyone, for sending those in. Lots of wonderful choices and a really yes. fun conversation. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we would love to, you know, as we kind of made some plans and discussed the reasons why some of these books are intimidating, keep sharing yours. You know, did, yeah. are any of you inspired to start some of these intimidating books? As I think that's the other thing. We got a list of books in many of these, but without necessarily getting the reasons mm-hmm. or whether or not they've committed to someday reading it. Or if they're like, oh, this is a book that scares me. I'll probably never read it. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more behind the scenes on on some of this, too. So I share too. away. And if, 
<laughs> and if anybody's willing to put their neck out like we did and, and commit to something, yeah, send it our way and maybe we can Ooh, share something like that too. That would be awesome. I think we, yes, if you'll, if you'll share us kind of, here's the book that I've been scared to read. Here's, uh, but I'm committing to read it. I think we should absolutely have some follow-up segments in multiple episodes as we, as yeah. we go through that. So It'll be a lot of fun. Cool. Well, yeah, right. thanks everybody. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time. Thank you.